And if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11, and we're going to look at John 11 together today. John chapter 11. Before we look in his word, let me ask you a question. How do you measure love? How do you measure a lot of things, can't you? Your inside leg measurement. We're going to have a baptism uh, in a few minutes. I measured the baptistry tank. Realised that the people being baptised are bigger than the tank itself. And uh, we we shall see how that goes. So uh, you can measure things. But how do you measure love? Well, the television would uh, give us the answer that you would measure love by material things. You see in the adverts... This guy goes and he's skiing down a mountain, then he's swimming through the ocean and then he's running and then he's doing all these different things and he's all because the lady loves her milk tray, right? And he'll go to the ends of the world because she loves milk tray and if he doesn't get the milk tray to her, that means he doesn't really love her. Or you measure love because you buy the most expensive perfume. Why? Or the most expensive makeup because you're worth it. And if, if you don't buy the expensive stuff, if you just get the cheap stuff, it implies that you're not really worth it. So you have to buy the most expensive. I told you before when I was in Canada, I was, I was out shopping for some milk and eggs and stuff, and, and I saw these nice bunch of roses there, and I decided I'd buy that for my wife. I thought it'd be really nice. I like having flowers myself around the house, it brightens the place up. But it was all just one colour. It was either white or yellow or red. And I thought, well, that's a bit boring. So why don't I buy two bunches of roses? So I bought two bunches of roses, different colours. Took them to the checkout and the woman was there and she said, what have you done wrong? And I said, what do you mean, what have I done wrong? She said, well, who are the roses for? I said, they're for my wife. You must have done something wrong. And I said, why? And she said, no, no, you've got to done... No, no guy buys two bunches of roses for his wife unless he's done something wrong. And I said, I haven't done anything wrong, just give me the roses, let me get out of here with my other things before the roses die while you're... And they said, no, she called over all the other women that were there, look at this guy, he's buying these... And I'm like, oh, why? Because in her mind, that you only buy something like that, you only do nice things if you've done something wrong, if you're a guy, or because, you know, it's Valentine's, if it's Valentine's then you can't just buy one rose... Unless it's a crystal rose in a special thing, you have to buy boxes of roses. Why? Because the more you buy, the more you're showing your love. That's what TV would say, because it sells. Some religions, however, say, how do you measure love? Well, how do you measure how much God loves you? Well, you measure it in the blessing. And how do we measure blessing? Well, generally it's in health and it's in prosperity. If you are prosperous, if you own a business and your business is doing well, it's because God is loving you. If you are healthy in your body and your mind, it's because God is loving you. In the Old Testament, if you had a large family, it's because God is loving you and blessing you. That's how you measure the love of God. It's in these external things. That you do well because God loves you. If you don't do well, you've done something wrong. Or God is not loving you because you must have done something to stop his love. Because we measure love in those kind of ways. And yet the scriptures 
tell us that that is not the way we measure love. If it were, then the Apostle Paul would be the most hated person by God in the whole of the Bible, wouldn't he? Think about Paul. Here he was sent off on these journeys. And what happened to him? Well, he got beaten up, he got shipwrecked, he got stoned. He didn't have much money, so he had to work and then preach in the evenings. And when he preached, he went on so long that people fell asleep and fell out of windows. You know? And, and he, like he, you look at him on the external and you think, well, if I'm judging by those standards, then, well, that's not really how God must measure love, surely. Because here he is. Most of the disciples ended up being killed for their faith. All except John. So how do you measure love? Well, we're going to look at that today in the reading from John's Gospel. But before we read it and look at it, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you today on this Easter Sunday. That you have promised your spirit because you have risen that you would send your spirit. And one of the roles that your spirit will have is to teach us and train us in truth. Just as Jesus, you taught your disciples So, Spirit of God, teach us today as we read your word. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, our passage from John's Gospel is, if you look at the the chapter, it's the death of Lazarus at John 11. But before that, we just see that it happens... Um, just before the triumphal entry. So he's around Jerusalem. He's, Jesus and his disciples have worked their way down to Jerusalem. And he's outside Jerusalem. He hasn't yet come in on the donkey. So we have to go back a kind of a couple of weeks, if you like, in, a, in our liturgy. But there he is. He's waiting. He's in Bethany near Jerusalem. And what happens at the start of, of, uh, of John chapter 11 is there's this guy called Lazarus who was sick. He was known to Jesus, he was a friend of Jesus's, as well as his sisters Mary and Martha. And they heard that Jesus was around, and so Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus and said, Come quickly, because Lazarus is sick. Come, Lord, you've healed all these other people, now come and heal him, because here he is and he's not well. And it says that Jesus, when he heard this, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, we would get a bit miffed, wouldn't we? I mean, we, we complain about the NHS sometimes. But you imagine you phone up for the doctor to come, and he goes, yeah, well, I'll be there in a couple of days. I've got other things to do first. Oh, I'll, I'll get round to it. We'll go, hang on a minute. This is not the promises our members of parliament gave us. We don't, we don't, you know, I'm ill now. I need you now. I might not still be here in a couple of days. But Jesus said, yeah, I'll get, I'll get round to it. I'll come. Don't worry about it. I'm going to come. And then he dies. And when he dies, they send word to him and they say, well, there's not much point in you coming now, Jesus. You kind of dithered around for days. Then you didn't come. And now our brother Lazarus has died. What's the point? And then Jesus says, yeah, but let me come anyway. And so we pick it up in verse 17. That after these days that Jesus comes, it says, on his arrival... John eleven seventeen, Jesus found that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. So he's been dead for four days. They buried him. They've done the ceremonies. Everybody's still there for the funeral because the funerals went on for days. Three days of weeping, seven of lamenting, 30 days to refrain from cutting your hair and putting on uh, fresh clothes. That was the ritual or the, the way you did funerals in those days. So 
So they're there in the middle of all this funeral. They've done the three days of weeping. They're, they're into the seven days of lamenting. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You see what Martha does? She goes up to Jesus and she said, Jesus? And really what she does is she questions him. She said, Jesus, I thought you loved my brother. I thought you loved him. If you really loved him, why? I don't understand. Why did you not come? If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. So why did you wait? Why did you, why did you let us down? And really what she's doing is saying, Jesus, I'm not really sure that you actually loved my brother. Did you? And she can't figure it out in her mind. She's saying, Lord, why, why did you let this happen to me? You ever been there? That when things go well, we're, we're praise the Lord, fantastic, hallelujah, we're Ronnie, we're Ronnie, aren't we? We're up there clapping, jumping, running, we're doing all the Ronnie Padilla stuff, right? But then when things go bad, we're so quick to go, Lord, why, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Lord, do you really love me? You say you love me, and yet you allow these bad things to happen. I don't deserve this, Lord. And Martha was in that place. Lord, how could you? Let me read on a little bit more. But I know, verse 22, that even now God will give whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. What's Mary doing? Mary's saying the same thing. Lord, how could you? Lord, I thought you loved my brother. Lord, we, we're, we're family. We're special. We're together. You, you've eaten here. You've been with here. You've been in our house. We've cooked for you. You know us. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, did you really love him like I thought you loved him? Why have you let us down? Why could you do this? Perhaps, Lord, you didn't love him like I thought you did. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. 
Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Even the mourners that are there, some of them are saying the same thing. I thought this guy loved him. This guy does all these other things. He's healed all these people. We know that. Then why? Why wouldn't he have healed Lazarus? Why did... We asked for him four days ago. And yet he waited another couple of days and then he'd ambled his way here. He's not even here yet. Why? Why did he not get on his donkey and race along here? Why did he not run all the way here to come and heal Lazarus? Maybe he didn't love him like we thought he loved him. You see, they all are there questioning the love of Jesus. Questioning whether really Jesus loved him. What are your motives, Lord? What's going on inside? Now look at verse 33. It said, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along were also weeping. It says in our one, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In the Greek, it literally means, He was really angry. He was really, really angry. It's the same word that is used when he cleans out the temple. It's that same kind of anger that he has inside of him. Now why, why would Jesus be angry at that moment? Well, I think it's because he's angry because they are questioning his love. They're questioning his motivation. Have you ever had your motives questioned? Have you ever done something and then somebody else takes what you've done, looks at what you've done, and they put different motivation behind it. Have you ever happened to you? Do you know how easy that is? It just riles you up. You kind of get this righteousness inside that says, how dare they accuse me of this? How do they know why I'm doing this? How do they really know what's going on inside of me? How do, what right have they got to criticize me or to put this load of stuff that's theirs onto me when they don't know what's going on in my heart. But we do that all the time and other people do it to us all the time. And you know, when we do it to God, He gets really angry. Because what we're saying to Him is what Mary said, what Martha said, what those other mourners said to Him. They said, Lord, you do not really love Like we thought you did. And what we're doing is putting the love of Jesus Christ into a box and saying, Lord, your love has got to work in this way. Otherwise, we're going to question it and say, you don't really love like we think you should do. And Jesus gets angry. God gets angry. And what does he say to that? He says these words in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What does that mean? I am the resurrection and the life. What did it mean to Mary, to Martha, to the people that were there? Well, first of all, it's the truth about himself. We've been looking together at the I am statements. Where do they come from originally? Hello? This is in John's Gospel. Well, where originally do we see I am? I am who I am. 
God. He says it to Moses. Fantastic. Good. Too much chocolate, I think, here. Right. God says it to Moses in the burning bush. Do you remember Moses standing there and he says, who, who's gonna, who, who am I going to tell the people of Israel sent me? I am who I am, he says. Okay, it's good enough for Moses. And Jesus, seven times it's recorded in John's Gospel. He says, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. And so on. I am the resurrection and the life. He's saying, I am God. So it's a truth about who he is. But it's a truth about that he is the source. Jesus doesn't say, hey, wait a minute. You see me do these other miracles. I can raise Lazarus from the grave. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, look, I've healed these people. I've preached over these people. I've helped these other people. I can raise Lazarus. He doesn't say that. He just says, I am the resurrection. Now, what's the difference? The difference is that if we do things, it's not because of the power that we have. It's because we are a channel of the power that comes from God. But Jesus here is saying, I am the resurrection. In other words, the power of the resurrection resides within me, within Jesus Christ. He's saying, I am the resurrection. You want to know what the resurrection is? Look at Jesus. The power comes from within him. He's not a channel of God's power. He is God. And therefore the power comes from within. Do you see the difference? That's why we're not Jesus. All we are are Jesus' servants. And therefore we can channel the power of God because if we do what God wants us to do, we become channels of that power flowing through us and out through us to others. Amen? But Jesus is the source of the power. So he says, I am the resurrection. Not that, I can, not that I can do it, because it's within him. It comes from the core of who he is, his character, his personality, his being. He says, I am that resurrection. I don't have to ask my father for it, because it's within him. That's where we differ from Christ. It's like, it's like us being like, he is the rain that falls down. He is the water that comes. We're like a a gutter, a channel that flows it through. We don't have any power in and of ourselves. We can't go up and say to you, you know, Mike, you're healed. I don't have any power to heal anybody. But if Christ says to me, go and pray for Mike and ask for his healing, then I become a channel of the power that comes from God through me, because he chooses for whatever reason to use me at that moment to touch Mike in his life. But Jesus didn't have to do that. He didn't say, Father, please send me the power. Because he had it within him. Which is why, you remember the woman with the bleeding? She said, I just need to touch him. If I touch him, the power will come out of him. Because he's not a channel, it's already there within Christ. And so, he can say, I am the resurrection. When he died on the cross, when he descended into the grave... He didn't ask his father for the power to raise him up again. The power was already within him. He is the resurrection. He doesn't have to get the power and the strength from anywhere else. He said, I willingly lay my life down so that I can take it up again. He doesn't have to ask for it. He doesn't have to receive it from anywhere else. He wasn't helpless on the cross. He chose to stay there for us, to die 
for us. So that he could rise again through his own power because he is God. And God can do whatever God wants to do. And that is the pathway he chose. You see, Martha believed, look at verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha thought that the resurrection was a future thing, was an event. That Easter was an event. But Jesus says it's not an event, it's a person, it's him. And that's exactly what we need in every situation that we go through. We need to know that same power that Jesus had rising from the dead is alive and is with us because he is with us. He is there. He is there in every single situation that we go through. So the resurrection is not a future thing. Easter is not a one-time thing in the year. It is continual. Why? Because Christ is continual with us, journeying with us. Look at what Martha says again in verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. You see, Martha's knowledge about eternal life was some kind of abstract idea. Yeah, you die, you're raised again, then you get eternal life with God. But Christ said, it's not like that. I am the resurrection and the life here and now. I am the resurrection. Here and now, I am the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. He's saying, I'm here right now. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ that is all that matters. When we are close to Christ, we live with that presence of the resurrection and the life close to us, next to us, within us. That's why he can say, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. We have that life in all its fullness with us at all times. We have that resurrection working in us and through us at all times. Because we have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you remember in Mark 4 when the disciples were in the boat and the storm came up? Do you remember that? And they were there and they were going, and here's Jesus fast asleep. And the storm's coming. Jesus has a bit of a go at his disciples in Gethsemane when they're tired. And they have a bit of a go at him when he's in a boat and it's all the waves are coming in. Do you remember? And he's there fast asleep. And they're going, how can you sleep like this? What are you doing? You've got to save us. And he's going like, what are you talking about? Do you not know? That nothing, the boat's not going to sink while I'm with you. I, I am. I'm the, I'm the saviour of the world. I'm the Messiah, he says. Why, why don't you understand that if you stay close to me, if you're in the boat with me, you're going to be safe. You don't have nothing to fear. And then he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And he says, you've little faith, you don't understand. But the truth is about life in all its fullness is that that is part of who we are. If we stay close to God, if we stay close to Jesus Christ, he says, he who believes in me will live. Even if he dies, it's just a continuation of the journey. He's trying to say to us this. Jesus Christ is with you right now. Yes? When you die, what changes? Nothing. Jesus comes, 
He's with you right now. You journey throughout your life. One day we will die out of this body. Will we ever be separated from Jesus? No. So why have we got anything to worry about? We're with Christ right now. We'll be with Christ when we have our new bodies. We'll be with Christ for all eternity. He's saying, you have, you have Him in your heart. You have Him in your life right now. You journey with Him. It's just a continuation of that journey. Why, why are you worried? Death, where is your sting? Where, where is the fear of death? Because it's just a continuation of that journey. We're just carrying on walking. There's no, it's not a transition, really. It's just a continuation of that same journey right throughout. And so we face death with a smile on our face because we just continue walking with Him. He's saying, I am the resurrection. That's what Easter is all about. And because of that, He shows us His love. He says, this is what love is really all about. How do you measure love, I said. You know what the Bible says? You measure love, the love of God, by how much of Himself, how much God shows of Himself to you. How much of Himself have you given, or has He given to you to know and enjoy? Well, He's given everything, isn't He? How much does God love you? Well, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. It's like in a relationship. How much do you really love someone in a relationship? Well, it's really about how much of yourself, your inner self, you really give to someone, isn't it? How vulnerable are you going to be to that individual? Are you going to tell that individual all your secrets? Are you going to tell that individual all the struggles that you go through, you're going to let the mask come down so they see you for who you really are? That's what love is. And the more you let that mask down, the more you show of yourself, the more honest you are of yourself with another person, the more you really reveal your love to them and allow them to reveal their love to you. You know what an Easter is? Easter is that moment where Christ finishes, in a sense, revealing his love. The perfection of his love. How do we know what love is, 1 John says? Because God first loved us and he was willing to die for us. The cross, where he opened himself up and he said, here I am, this is me. This is who I am. This is how much I love you. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to take your place. I'm willing to show you who I am. I'm willing to show you who God is. He said, didn't he? If you see me, you've seen the Father. It's the same. Look into me. Look at who I am. I want to reveal myself to you. Let me show you who I really am. I am the resurrection and the life, he said. And Jesus revealed it. In such a deep way. Let's finish the reading off of verse 38. Because Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's going to be a bad odour for he's been in there four days. 
Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. Why is it that Christ reveals himself to us? Why is it that Christ wants the very best for us? Why is it he wants to pour his love into us? So that we can see the glory of God. We can see God in all his fullness, all his radiance. We can see what God is capable of doing and being. Yeah, it's a special day for me today, here at Trinity. Been here a long time. And uh, it's, it's a fantastic day because my parents are here, my mother-in-law's here from Canada, one of my sons is here, so it's, it's uh, my wife's here, I shouldn't leave her out, oh my goodness. <laughs> There's no going out of this hole, I'm just digging my... But you know what? <laughs> today we're going to have a baptism here. It's going to be the first immersion baptism in Trinity Church. Fantastic. Not only that, when I came to this church, you know, this, I remember in our first service, we used to sit in the chairs up on the dais there, just around the table. That's how many there were of us in our first service. In our second service, there was not as many as there are today. Now we have four services, well, five today. And at all four services, there are new people coming into the life of the church here. I remember so many times coming into this church. When it was all quiet, I'd be on my knees on those steps. Saying, Lord, fill this place. Just show your glory in this place. Make this your home. Make this your place. Make this just a place where we can see your glory. Where we can really just meet with you. Where people coming can just come in and sense your presence. You know, there's people that have come today, that are coming into membership today. Because they came... And they said, there's something different about this place. That they came and they sat here and they said, you know, I've been in many churches, but for the first time, I met the Lord Jesus Christ. I was sitting in the service before this at the back, sitting next to someone, never been in their church their whole life. Came through various ways into this church, sat at the back one Sunday. They're in their late 50s, 60s met with God for the first time. Not through the preaching, not through the worship, just because they were in the glory of God in this place. And it's amazing that that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, if you believe that, if you truly come into that place, you will see my glory. You will experience my glory. You will have that touch. You will see Christ for who he truly is. You will witness Christ. You will feel his presence. You will feel his love. And you will be transformed and changed because of it. You know, the raising as Lazarus here. 
Let's finish this. So they took the stone away, verse 41, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he said, in a, when he said this, he said, said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What you see here is a foretaste of what we see at Easter. Lazarus would one day die and go and be with the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. Jesus followed that same journey, but is alive forevermore. I am the resurrection was demonstrated here in Bethany. But it was proved when he went to Golgotha. When he went to that hill. Why? Because he wanted to show you and me what love is really all about. In this passage we see those different people questioning the love of Jesus. Can I say to you never question the love of God for you. He gets angry when we do that. Because he just says, what more do I have to do to show you? I died for you. I I was beaten and broken and bruised and tormented. I died for you. So that I may demonstrate that love. So that I can pour myself out into you. And show you what love is truly all about. Let me finish with this. It's a quote from Bob Marley. He said, Only once in your life I truly believe you will find someone who can completely turn your world around. You tell them things that you've never shared with another soul and they absorb everything you say and actually want to hear more. You share hopes for the future, dreams that will never come true, goals that were never achieved and many disappointments life has thrown at you. When something wonderful happens, you can't wait to tell them about it, knowing they will share in your excitement. They're not embarrassed to cry with you when you're hurting or laugh with you when you make a fool of yourself. Never do they hurt your feelings or make you feel like you're not good enough. But rather they build you up and show you the things about yourself and make you special and even beautiful. There's never any pressure, jealousy or competition, but only a quiet calmness when they're around you. You can be yourself and not worry about what they'll think of you because they love you for who you are. The things that seem insignificant to most people, such as a note, a song, a walk, become invaluable treasures kept safe in your heart to cherish forever. Memories of your childhood come back and are so clear and vivid. It's like being young again. Colors seem brighter and more brilliant. Laughter seems part of daily life where before it was infrequent or didn't exist at all. A phone call or two during the day helps you to get through a long day's work and it always brings a smile to your face. In their presence there's no need for continuous conversation. But you find you're quite content in just having them nearby. Things that never interested you before become fascinating because you know they're important to this person who is so special to you. You think of this person on every occasion and in everything you do. 
Simple things bring them to mind, like pale blue sky or gentle wind or even a storm cloud on the horizon. You open your heart, knowing that there's a chance it may be broken one day, and in opening your heart you experience a love and a joy that you never dreamed possible. You find that being vulnerable is the only way to allow your heart to feel true pleasure, that's so real it scares you. You find strength in knowing you have a true friend and possibly a soulmate who will remain loyal to the end. Life seems completely different, exciting and worthwhile. Your only hope and security is in knowing that they are part of your life. That's what Bob Marley wrote about a partner. But as I read that, I realized how true that is, even more so about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That Christ has promised to be that, the resurrection and the life within each one of us. Why? Because he is the source. And that's why we celebrate at Easter. We need never fear, because we are known and we know the resurrection and the life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the resurrection, that you are the life. That today we can celebrate, not just a day in history when you rose again, but that you are alive and continually rising up within each one of us. That you are that source, that you are that strength, that you are that hope, that you are that love within each one of us that continues pouring out inside of us. And working in us and through us. We thank you for your continual resurrection. For the journey that continues on. And we thank you for the life that you bring us. That we can be vulnerable with you. You search us. You know everything there is to know about us. And we rejoice. That you are. The one that gives us that joy and that hope. And that reason for living. Lord we thank you. We thank you that you demonstrated your love to Lazarus. You demonstrated your love on the cross and the resurrection. And you demonstrate your love to us. Every moment of every day. We thank you that we are Easter people. Because we journey with you. For we pray in your name. Amen.